In 2016, there was a lingering feeling that something terrible was going to happen in the fall. It was a feeling of cultish uprising, the start of the end of times, or even the start of an evil new beginning. However, when October rolled around, nothing had happened. It was something that went from 1 to 10. It was an infection that spread across the U.S. What I'm talking about was the influx of clowns. It started off small. Several YouTube videos depicted teens videotaping clowns standing at the edge of the woods, beckoning them to join them with one hand while holding a weapon with the other. While they seemed like fake videos at first, the news started showcasing darker moments of the clown emergence, with one clown caught on CCTV trying to break into a family's home. The media darkened with rot, and more and more footage of clowns emerged. Some claimed that clowns aggressively chased them. Others admitted to being attacked. I wonder if you forgot about this. It wasn't too long ago. But I can tell you, I sure didn't. I remember watching this on the news, outwardly saying something along the lines of, yeah, right, but having this dreading feeling of, but what if? When we watch movies like The Strangers, we find excitement in the idea of that suspenseful thrill, the jump scare, that feeling that we know more than the character is enthralling. However, what if the character is you? What if you're the one that can't hear the audience exclaim, Watch out! The clown is right behind the door! From Nikki's episode on Cropsy, and our previous theme of serial killers, we talked about how the possibility of being attacked is as common as apple pie. Things we assume are safe might be taking advantage of our innocence. Naivete is sweet to an extent, but not when it could lead to your demise. What really unnerved me about the clown uprising wasn't solely the idea that I might need to barricade my door from the idea of Bozo, but the idea that my trust in others has to be discarded. A clown is just a person in a mask, but it also is a childhood treasure. It's a costume that we have donned for Halloween. It's a costume that we were all once comfortable with, despite our fear. A clown costume is something everyone can wear something that fully disguises the person behind it. It is a symbol intended to present innocence and humor. It is a sweet suit. But that's true with all costumes, not just clown costumes. Morphing a child's plaything into a monster can be frightening for anyone. It's the basis of the Chucky franchise. It's why Tiny Tim's tiptoe through the tulips is so effective in the first Conjuring movie. It's why the concept of clowns terrorizing towns is so scary. It's something that you were once comfortable with, carved into your monster. This episode, I will talk about the urban legend that has haunted the state of Virginia for nearly 50 years. The Bunny Man is an urban legend that originated from two incidents in Fairfax County, Virginia in 1970, but has spread throughout the Washington, D.C. area. While it might seem like a boogeyman story at first, the story will make you stop and think. My name is Ellie, and welcome to this Tales of Two Cities special episode.
Hello? Welcome. This is the two cities. On October 19, 1970, U.S. Air Force Academy cadet Robert Bennett and his fiancée were driving down the Guinea Road after seeing some relatives in Burke, Virginia. Around midnight, while returning from a football game, they parked their car in a field to visit an uncle across the street. When they parked their car, all that can be seen was the field grass highlighted by car lights. The night was still and the whispers and howls of the fall wind echoed around them. However, at the farthest reaches of what they could see, they saw something odd, something that wasn't supposed to be there. From the weird window, they saw something trudge towards them. Then, in a split second, the passenger window smashed, sending a flurry of glass and chaos. What stood beside the door was a man, clad in white, with long bunny ears. His eyes were wild, and he was ready to do something inhuman. Bennett turned the car around and drove down the road. Moments later, they discovered a hatchet on the car floor. The police were never able to find out who the attacker was. Another incident of the bunny man occurred on the evening of October 29, 1970. Paul Phillips was hired as a construction security guard for construction company. In Kings Park West on Guinea Road, Phillips was enjoying the cool fall night like any other night. It was quiet, and there wasn't really much work to do. However, at the corner of his eye, he noticed a man storming into the construction zone, carrying something in his hand. He followed the man and noticed something bizarre. He said the man was wearing a gray, black, and white bunny costume, and he was about 20 years old, 5 feet 8 inches, and he was chopping at the porch post with a long-handed axe. You are trespassing. If you come any closer, I'll chop off your head, the bunny man said. Needless to say, Phillips left and went straight to the police. The Fairfax County Police opened an investigation into both incidents, but couldn't find any evidence. For weeks, more than 50 people claimed to have seen the bunny man. One even claimed that the monster ate his cat. The story wasn't just a statewide tale. It was picked up by the Washington Post. Some articles that mentioned the fiend were Man in Bunny Costume Sought in Fairfax, October 22, 1970. The rabbit reappears, October 31st, 1970. The bunny man seen, November 4th, 1970. Bunny reports are multiplying, November 6th, 1970. No one fully had an answer to why this man was terrorizing the town. All that came out of it was the legend. Unlike most lore, this story is all the same. In 1904, an asylum prison in Clifton, Virginia was shut down due to a petition by the growing population of residents in Fairfax County. While transferring a group of asylum inmates, a bus veered off the road and crashed, killing a significant number of people, including the driver. Ten inmates managed to escape and survive. Nine were all found by authorities. Nine, meaning 
One escaped. A couple of days later, locals discovered the grisly sight of half-eaten carcasses of rabbits. Some were on the ground, but some were hung on the branches with care. Another search was ordered and the police located the remains of Marcus Walster, a man like the rabbits hung on a tree right next to what, in two years, would become the Bridge Overpass or Bunny Man Bridge. Attached to his foot was a note that read, You'll never find me no matter how hard you try. Signed, The Bunny Man. The Bunny Man was soon to be revealed as Douglas J. Griffin. Douglas J. Griffin was a man like any other family man. He worked hard and did his part in society. However, that all changed when he was convicted for killing his entire family. On Easter Sunday, he and his family sat down for dinner. And in the end, Douglas J. Griffin was the only one that sat back up. When he was arrested for the murder of his entire family, Griffin was noted to have an ear-piercing laugh. When the officials finally managed to find him, they chased him to the train track overpass, the same place where the original transport of asylum inmates had crashed. Douglas J. Griffin managed to evade the officials most of the way, but eventually was hit by a train, killing him. It was a gruesome sight, and it stopped all the officials in their tracks. They all paused, and the area was quiet as any area would be whenever a gruesome accident occurs. However, oh so softly, the officials started hearing something that brought chills down their spines. They heard an ear-piercing laugh. Soon, a figure was seen by pedestrians making their way through the one-lane bridge tunnel. People have said it generally just stands there, watching, and many have heard the faint sound of laughing, dancing in the wind. Some have attributed other deaths to be by the hands of the bunny man, like in 1918 when 14-year-old Eva Roy was beaten and hanged near Kloster Bridge, and in 1943 when three teenagers were found hanging by the same bunny man's note from Walster's death attached to their feet. Historian Brian A. Conley spent years debunking the myth of the Bunny Man, citing the two incidents in 1970 to be the source of the mythical infection. However, despite all of that, there are still witnesses to have seen the mysterious figure at Bunny Man Bridge, and will do so for years to come. If you enjoyed that episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast device. We're also on Spotify and Stitcher, so please join us there too. If you want to have more than just free stuff, check out our Patreon. Nikki and I create special episodes for a one-time fee of $5. We also offer merch, shoutouts, and other deals as well. If you want to represent us, please check out our merch store on TeePublic. We offer many exclusive Tales of Two Cities items, as well as other items from artists all over the world. If you want to talk, write to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and at our email at talesofthenumber2citiespodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you, and we generally love telling your stories on our podcast as well. 
But, above all, and most importantly, thank you so much for listening to this episode.